What a powerful morning already. Um, It's good to see you this morning. I'm glad that you are all here. Uh, If I haven't had a chance to meet you, uh, my name is Jason. Um, I have the honor and privilege of pastoring Solid Rock Church, and and really, um, that's where the... uh, that's where the, the, the specialty drops off. There's really nothing special about me. I just get to do this um, by God's grace. And so um, I'd love to meet you if I haven't had a chance to meet you personally. Um, if I've met you before, come tell me your name again because I forgot it. And not because it's not important. It's just I'm not that smart. Um, but glad that you're here. And um, I wanted to, as we open up our Bibles to Ephesians 2, um, just say a couple of things of, of, from my heart about what we're about to do and what we do every Sunday. Um, and so... When I, before I come up to preach both services every Sunday, um, I pray, uh, and I I pray the same thing every time, and this might be something you could pray with me and for me and for yourself. Um, I I always pray, God, let let my words fall on deaf ears. Let your words land on our hearts. God, preach a better sermon than I can preach today. And uh, and I want you to know that that's, that's my heart for today, that God's word would land on us in a very powerful, life-changing way. And I, was, I had the opportunity to listen to a couple of pastors talking about um, God speaking audibly and, uh, and very honestly, one by one, the first pastor said, I've never heard God speak audibly. I'm not saying he can't. I'm just saying he, he has, I haven't heard him do it. And the next pastor basically said the same thing. I, I'm not saying he can't. I've never heard him speak audibly, but I'm not saying he can't. And then, and then a very wise, seasoned pastor um, stepped up and said, if you wanna hear God speak audibly, Open his word and read it out loud. Both humorous and profoundly true. And so as we open God's word today, um, I pray that you would hear him. Uh, We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. And as we get prepared to go there together, a couple things. Um, One, and, and, and very important, is this. Um, the, the chapters that are in your Bible weren't there in the original text. We've come back and added them to help organize so we can reference. However, very responsibly, they've been placed to help us understand where conversations start and end, where, uh, where topics kind of begin and end. And so um, it's no mistake that what we're going to go through today is part of chapter 2, Uh, Because there's going to be this beautiful connecting word between what we heard last week and where we're going today. And Paul wants us to know that everything in chapter 2 is the result of Jesus dying on the cross, going to the grave, and resurrecting from the dead on our behalf. Okay? And so when you, hopefully you had the opportunity to be here last week. If not, um, we'll have that uh, up and running this week on podcasts, hopefully. You could go back and kind of hear it. But I want you to know this is really part 2 of the sermon that was preached last week. Okay? So we're going to start in verse 11. What I'm going to do first is just read through the text, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about what God has said. So starting in verse 11, Paul begins with a therefore, knowing he's connecting it to what we saw and read and heard last week. So therefore, remember. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought, what? 
near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And that he might, he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, right? So what? So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. It's going to be hard for me to say anything more powerful than that. Now let's talk about it. I, I love and, and appreciate um, how intentional the Apostle Paul is with every letter of the language he's writing in. Every, every verb, every noun, everything is just so intentionally placed. And I don't believe it was because he was a very smart guy Though in human standards he was, I believe the Holy Spirit is superintending his words to reflect the character and the glory of God. But he begins this passage with a command, a powerful command. This is what you must do if you're in Christ. Verse 11 begins with, therefore, since this is true, since you're in Christ, you've been made alive, you're no longer a dead man walking, you are now alive in Christ. Therefore, here's your command, Remember, remember. Now, when we think about the commands of God on our lives, so many times we filter who God is through our humanity, our experience, okay? There hasn't been a kid born in any time on the face of the earth that obeyed rules because they liked them initially. Right? They either do it because they know by doing the rules they get what they want in return, or more like I was when I was a kid, look for loopholes, look for ways around. Surely there's a way to get around this rule so I can be happy. That's what kids do, parents. That's why we have parenting classes. That's why we, right? Now, but what we're going to see in the scripture is that when God comes up with a rule, He comes up with a command, it's beautiful, it's right and it is to our good like many of our rules for our kids right are for their good they just don't always see it that way God's commands are to our good and the word remember is a beautiful illustration of the heart of the father who commands things to our good um, when I find myself in a mindset or an attitude of rebellion towards God's commands I just don't like it, I, and I go through those phases, 
um, I go back to the Psalms where there's a lot of wrestling with God going on. And, and I love Psalm 119, um, and, and you may be familiar with it, but just, just look at this, look at how Psalm 119 describes the rules and the commands of God. Starting in, I'm just gonna read a few verses, 25. The psalmist says, my soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. My soul, leave me to myself, and I am like a magnet to the dirt. And I believe metaphorically talking about the grave. I'm gonna be drawn to things that bring death. But did you see where life comes from? My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. Psalm 119, verse 37. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your what? In your ways. The way you prescribe life to go. Verse 93. I will never forget your precepts, your commands, the things you command and demand of me, God. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you've given me life. You see, the commands, the rules, the precepts of God lead us to life. They're to our good. One last verse. This is, um, I'll read two more. How about that? 156. Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life, but don't give it to me according to my rules, the way I think it should go. Give it to me according to whose rules? His rules. And then verse 40. Behold, I, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. If I could figure out how to get my kids to say that to me, Daddy, I long for your rules because I know they lead me to life. See, the commands of God are to our good. And this beautiful little command embedded in Ephesians 2 illustrates that, right? Re commands us to remember that which we so quickly forget. And so there's two things that Paul is gonna call us to remember. One is last week's sermon. Remember, you are no longer a dead man walking. You've been made alive. It's not who you are anymore. You're his worksmanship. Therefore, remember. And today he's gonna lead us to what I would say is the second implication of the cross. I think we're good with last week's sermon. I think we are, by and large. We're good with the idea that when I think of Jesus on the cross, I think about me and Jesus and my salvation. We're good with that, right? This is where I find hope. This is where I find peace. This is about me being reconciled to God in relationship. But we completely quit reading at verse 10 in Ephesians 2 and miss the second, most, the second, not the most, but the second an equally profound and beautiful and powerful implication of the cross for our lives, which is our unity with one another. Now today, um, we're gonna talk about this. We're gonna let the word of God talk to us about what it means to be truly unified in Christ. We're gonna talk about it today more on the macro level, the large scale level, the church as a whole, our unity, okay? When we get to Ephesians 4, Paul's gonna get real practical and so we're gonna talk more micro level when we get there in a few weeks about what it means to be unified here as a church just on the ground practically speaking, okay? So we're gonna stay on the large, larger scale for the most part today, though both are implied, okay? So here's what he's gonna tell us to, tell us to remember. Now, um, just some help. 
uh, the word circumcision and uncircumcision is going to come up. And for lack of time for the biology lesson, okay, so if you know what it is, good. If you don't, ask your parents. Um, but when you see the word circumcision, what you need to understand is being communicated is being marked by God or being marked for God by human hands. That's what circumcision represented in the Old Testament. Being marked by God with human hands. Something we could do to mark ourselves. Okay, now God was involved in, in prescribing that mark, but that's what you need to think. When you think of uncircumcision, you need to think not marked by God. Okay, and so here's where Paul takes us. He says, remember, here's your command, remember. Remember that at one time, past tense, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, that's what you were called because you weren't marked by God on the outside. Remember that you were, you were called this by what is called the circumcision, those who had been marked. Remember that? When those who had been marked outwardly by God looked down on you. They, they called you, literally called you names. You remember that? And then he goes on to explain with this phrase just to make sure we have our bearings correctly. So you were called the uncircumcision by what is or those who are called circumcision, which is, by the way, made in the flesh by hands. All right. So circumcision is this idea of being marked outwardly by God. Paul wants us to remember that at one time, those who were marked by God looked down on us, those of us who are not. Because there wasn't an outward marking for God. Verse 12. This is carrying on that command to remember. Okay, Also remember or continue remembering that you were at that time, when they were looking down on you, you were separated from Christ. The word separated here means to be without. Okay, So if somebody has something, you take it from them, you separated it from them, they're without it. So you could just interchange that if you wanted to. Remember that you were at that time without Christ. Not only that, you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. It's fancy wording for citizenship. Okay? Constantly reminded on the outside that you didn't belong. You were alienated from the commonwealth or the citizenship of Israel. And not only that, you were strangers to the covenant or the covenants of the promise. Okay? God has spoke his promise to the Israelite nation. Do you remember what it felt like to feel like you were on the outside, like his promises didn't apply to you? Okay? So let's pull this into, let's pull this into the today context of the church. Um, so for me, and I, this is the best way I can think about what's being described here and illustrate it for you, I think about how I came into the church and just how, um, how awkward it was. Um, I, my first exposure to the gospel, I was 12, and it was at a revival at a church, but I didn't go to that church. So I heard the gospel. Um, I, I was gently manipulated into raising my hand and then gently instructed that if I didn't want to go to hell that night, I needed to come down and go with these people to the back of the sanctuary, which was like a haunted house, down the hallway. No, I'm, the whole thing scared me to death, freaked me out. I didn't have any bearings for what was going on. Well-meaning people, okay? Gospel was being preached, people were loving Jesus, wanted me to love Jesus. Whole thing freaked me out, okay? Maybe that's why I didn't go back to the church. But anyway, um, but when I, when I was 15 and a half, almost 16 years old, I went to a youth camp and I heard that gospel again, okay? Now, when I was 12, 
I, I confessed it with my mouth, but I don't know that I fully believed it in my heart. But at 15 and a half, almost 16, I heard it again. And at that time, I believed it in my heart and confessed it with my mouth. And I know, I know, I know, God saved me, made the dead man alive right then, okay? Something was different. I now wanted to go to church, but it was nonetheless goofy. I'll never forget, like trying to get acclimated to church. I didn't, I had to go with my friend. It was his church. His dad was a music leader. I was like, you're gonna have to walk me through this thing. I have no idea what's about to happen. So I'm sitting there, kind of thought, well, I'll find some help in this little bulletin. I'm reading the bulletin, and all of a sudden everybody stands up, and I look, and I'm the only one not standing up. I'm like, oh, gosh, I didn't hear we were supposed to st- oh, stand up. So I stand up, and I was like, oh, mental note. Next week, right, at the very beginning, when that guy starts singing, stand up. That way you don't look awkward. And I was in there singing, and I started reading the words that we were singing. I was like, what does that mean? All of a sudden I look, and I'm the only one standing. I forgot to sit down. So I sat down. About that time, they stood back up. I went, oh, my God. I don't have bearings here. I have no idea what's going on. Freaked me out. Um, and, and to make it worse, the songs that they were singing, I didn't get. Um, they were singing about blood. I was like, this is some weird folks off in here. I've heard about churches like this. And I was like, okay, here comes the haunted house scenario again, right? They're going to scare me and wig me out. And I'm never going to come back to church again. Well, they didn't because Jesus was living in me. And despite that, he called me into the church to join that Sunday. I want to join the church. Why? People are weird, I know, but I I can't forsake them. I can't walk away from them. Something's drawing me to them. Now, that's my experience of what I think Paul is describing here. Remember when you didn't fit in? Remember how awkward it was when you were trying to get your bearings? Not all of us grew up in church, right? Not all of us grew up cutting our teeth on the toys in the toddler room. And it's a little, it's, it's weird. People are weird in the church, right? So we come in, we're like, okay, note to self, I see what they're wearing. Next week, I'm gonna wear that white shirt, I'm gonna wear that, and I mean, we, mental note. We listen to how people talk. Note to self, don't cuss. People don't cuss, quit cussing, I'm gonna talk to these people. And so what happens, we begin to mark ourselves outwardly, right? thinking that that's gonna unite us with the people inside. And so that's what Paul's talking about here. Remember when you didn't fit in? Remember how weird it was to be alienated from Christ? To feel like his promises weren't for you, they were for God's special team? Remember that? But more importantly than all, remember when you were without him, without Christ. You had no hope. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. When you're separated from Christ, the Bible would say, and I believe it, you don't have a real hope. I think what Paul is reminding us that the works of our hands can do nothing to change our position with God. Some of you who've been church your whole life, you need to hear that again. Nothing you can do with your human hands can change your position with God. The right church hairdo, the right whatever it is, won't change your position. You, you need a savior on a cross. So that was Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. You need that. The work of your own hands will leave you separated from Christ. 
The work of your own hands leaves you without hope, a sense of purpose, ultimately, and most importantly, without a relationship with Jesus. You can't reenact that yourself. You can't. You can try. It won't be well, a number of reasons. It won't work. All right. So, verse 13 then, right, transitions us to this second powerful implication of the gospel in our lives. But now. Remember the, remember the but from last week? One T. But God, when we were dead in our sins, made us alive. Now here's the second one. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were what? Far off. That's how Paul's describing that awkwardness of not fitting in. I don't get these people. I feel like you're far off. Actually, I felt like they were far off. <laughs> A little off. Remember whenever you felt that way? Remember when you were far off? Well, guess what? In Christ, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. I love that word brought. Um, most times when it gets translated, it means to become, like if something's gonna be born or it just kind of appears, it's that idea of to be nothing and become something, like create. Like it's a powerful word to be brought here. And so the implications of being brought is not like I needed a piggyback ride and Jesus was like, here, get on, and he brought me to God. Like he made something come alive in here that wasn't alive before. He birthed something new in here that wasn't there. It's why in, in just a few chapters, remember Genesis 1, you and I were created in the likeness of who? God gets marred by sin. Guess what happens as an implication of the cross now? And Ephesians 4 is gonna say, guess what? Jesus recreates you in his image. So there's a rebirthing going here is what Jesus said in John 3. And here Paul says, remember when you were far off and Jesus brought you near? I love that. He brought you near by the blood of Christ. I love how Paul never gets over the bloody work of the cross. And in our current culture, it's our trend in the church to dress this thing up to make it less gory than it actually is, to make it look less like suffering than it actually is, right? We exchange the blood of the cross for Kool-Aid and crackers, okay? Now, I understand age appropriateness, but this was a messy thing here, okay? A messy thing that happened here. And, and here's what I want you to hear. What happened on, not this one, this one was made out of cedar and it's, I mean, it, yeah, it's not gonna last very long, but the one that Jesus died on, okay? Much bloodier than this, um, stained with blood, probably mangled with you know, flesh and hair and like the evidence of death. That work that he did on the cross was so powerful that 2,000 almost years later, it can still make us alive. That's why we don't get over the blood. It wasn't like Jesus said, you know what? I don't want you to have to bleed for your sins. Let me just take the pain away from you so you can just go on about life. I'll just take your place. That's not what happened there. You know why? Because if Jesus hadn't taken your place and you would have went and bled, your blood wouldn't have worked. Wouldn't have worked. You needed a righteous blood to atone for your sins, and so did I. Now, Paul's talking about something with weight, isn't he? He's talking about, from his 
everything he understands. This is the blood of Jesus I'm talking about here. This is heavy. All right, here's what he says. Verse 14. For he himself is our peace. Don't pass over that, okay? He doesn't give us peace as a consolation prize, a door prize for coming into the kingdom. Oh, by the way, you want some peace? Here's a basket of peace. You're going to want to go sit over there and it's just, oh, peace. There you go. He is the peace. Who is the peace? He is. You want peace? You have to be where? Where he is. It's not something he gives you to go out into the world and conquer. So you can become the best you you can be and succeed. And No, Jesus said, you want peace? I'll be your peace, but you have to be with me. He himself is our peace. Now, before we go on, this, this, can, this competes against, it confronts so much of my struggle in the flesh. Okay? Um, I'll just list a couple of things. One, it confronts my arrogance that he himself is my peace. Because what it tells me is I can't go find it on my own. I can't drum it up. Right? I can't. Right in the midst of chaos in my house, I can't go, Hudson, go to your room. Calvin, go to your room. Hallie, go to, wait, no, you stay. Like, I can't create peace. I can't. I want it, and I try to make it happen, but I can't. I, I can go chase after it, right? The world would tell me that I could have peace if I'm just talking about the chaos of my family. By the way, we have chaos in our family. It's stressful raising kids. It makes me want to pull my hair out. <laughs> you know what the world will tell me? Hit the eject button. You have peace. Just go find a wife that doesn't act like that. You have peace. You know what Satan's telling her to? Go find a husband that didn't like that. You'll have peace. She's hearing the same lies. Is it true? Nope. It's not. It confronts my arrogance. It does. confronts my disappointments. When I get disappointed, like to the point where I throw a fit, um, you know what I'm communicating? The, I'm communicating something. I'm, I'm saying that what I want is best. That's arrogant. When I get frustrated with a circumstance or a person, it doesn't go my way. What I'm saying is my way was the right way. That's why I'm so mad about it. Jesus is my peace, confronts my arrogance. It confronts my disappointments. It confronts my control, my freakish control nature. Anybody else have that? Anybody else married to that? I know, I've, God bless you. My wife's married to a control freak. It does. It, it confronts my desire to control. When Jesus himself is my peace, I can't find peace in manipulating or controlling people or situations. I can make my kids geographically obey. I can. I can still pick them up, go to your room. They don't want to. I can make them obey. I can make them go to their room for a while. It makes me feel tough. It 
can't control people, neither can you. Jesus himself is your peace, confronts all of that. If you want it, you're gonna have to find it in me. Now we'll move on, something incredibly profound coming. He himself is our peace. Who has made us both one? That's kind of a paradox. Made us both. That's plural. How many? One. He made the two one. Have you ever heard that before? Um, Maybe you've been married. You've heard it at your wedding. If it was a Christian wedding, hopefully. The minister said, today God is going to take the two and make them one. Okay? What we need to understand is our, the gospel isn't here to illustrate our marriages. Our marriages are here to illustrate the gospel. So that when you hear Paul say that, that God made the two one, you go, what does that look like? You could look at a Christ-centered marriage and see it. He made the two one. An inseparable making, by the way, is supposed to be by God's design. Why? Because it's supposed to reflect the connection we have with him and with each other. The connection he's making through the gospel. Making the two one. He, herself, he himself is our peace. He's made the two, both, us both, or the two, one, and has broken down in his flesh the, divide, the dividing wall of hostility. Now he's talking about all the excuses we have for not being one. All the reasons why I don't want to be one with you, he's talking about here, and he's calling it hostility. I call it personality differences. He's calling it hostility. He says that that was tore down in the flesh of Jesus. So that when you see the body of Jesus being torn and broken on the cross, guess what else is being broken and torn? All of our hostility towards one another. All the reasons we have for not wanting to be unified to one another. All the reasons why I don't like you is being killed on the cross. And you don't like me too, I get it. There's plenty there not to like. But it all dies at the cross. He tears it all apart. Verse 15, a little explanation so we don't get caught off guard. By abolishing the law of commandments. If we stop there, we go, whoa, we got a train wreck in the Bible. Jesus said, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Paul just said, Jesus abolished the law. It's a qualifying phrase here, and it's an important one too. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Okay, if you're good Baptist folk, you know what an ordinance is, right? We have baptism, we have communion, these Fantastic ordinances that symbolize so much of our faith. And, and so what Paul is referring to is the old, way to make your, the old way to get clean. The ordinances of the old covenant. Okay? So what he's saying is Jesus, he did away with those things. So killing a sheep for cheating on your wife won't work. He did away with that one. Okay? Killing a sheep for, do you fill in the blank with your sin? Not out loud. It won't work anymore. Matter of fact, Hebrews is gonna say, it never worked. That was the point. You can't with human hands fix what's broken. So Jesus did away with those ordinances, the ones that we used to try to practice to get clean. They don't work anymore. Baptism will not save you, won't make you clean. Jesus abolished the ordinances that make you clean. It's purely an expression of faith. All right, now, 
We're going to move on to the rest of 15. That he might create in himself how many men? One man, one new man, in place of the two, so making peace. Here's the, here's the interesting thing. Um, there's no room for personality conflict in this passage. Any excuse I have for not wanting to be with you is supposed to be dead. And so if I bring it up, I'm trying to resurrect dead things. Because along with those things, those offenses, guess what else died? My right to be right. And your right to be right. And so we get into this, whoa, 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 not fair. We don't want to re-preach that one, do we? Go back and listen to the podcast from last week. Okay? The only person who gets to say that, if he chooses to, is him. Right? Well, you just don't know what it's like to be, you know, just left out of the, the life group. They went and did something. They didn't even invite me, and I just feel so betrayed right now. Really? Really? Your right to be right has been killed, and Jesus killed it. He did. Bring up any offense scenario. They just embarrassed me in front of everybody. They pulled my beard out and spat in my face. Come on. I've killed all your reasons for not getting along. I killed them on the cross. That's why I did it. So you would have no more reasons, no more excuses, no more hindrance for being one. Let's finish 16. 16 says, and, so continuing the thought that he might reconcile us both, the word also could translate all, to who? God, in how many bodies? One, this is powerful, (laughs) through the cross, thereby killing hostility. So here's what happens. If you want a a vivid like imagery of what happens, I'm in life, I'm in darkness, I'm in hope, I've been believing a lie. I finally hear the gospel and I go, you know what? That's better than what I've got. I don't get it, I don't understand it, it's scary, but it's better than what I have. And I go hard after Jesus at the cross. Guess what happens? You do the same thing. Ryan, can I borrow you for a second? Stand up. I know him and if If he feels embarrassed, then I'll just point at Jesus like we did earlier. Walk towards the cross. Look at what happens. As I pursue Jesus in the cross, it's not just about me. I meet him here. High five. You rock. He made the two one because we go to the same place for our hope and our salvation. There aren't two crosses. There's one. All right. Um, I want to share something with you, and um, I want you to hear me. Okay, so if you need to go to the bathroom, sit tight, please, for a minute. Okay, and I finish this, then you can leave and cuss at me on your way out. That's fine. I don't care. I need to say something to you um, that I mean, and I don't have time to preach it every week, so I want you to hear it. Okay. Let me start here. I think it's a great tragedy that the last institution in the United States to be segregated is the church, okay? And I don't come from a social agenda or a civil rights movement. 
I'm simply informed by the gospel. As far back as you can trace the gospel, you see a unification of races in it. Okay? Paul says in Galatians that God preached the gospel to Abraham in chapter 12 of Genesis. So go read the first three verses of Genesis and God is preaching the gospel to Abraham. What does he say? Abraham, through you, okay, I'm gonna bless your family. Big family, Abraham. But through your lineage, through your seed, through your DNA, I am gonna bless the nations. Every people group, ethnicity, and family on the face of the earth is gonna be blessed through the seed that comes out of you. Guess who Jesus was related to? Abraham. He was the seed of Abraham. And so after his resurrection in Matthew 28, he gathers his disciples and says, here's what I want you to go do, guys. You ready? Like a football huddle style. Probably not, but this is how I picture it. Who's with me? I'm with you. Here's, your, here's the plan, okay? Here's the plan. We're gonna go. You're gonna go. I'm gonna leave. I'm sending my spirit back. So it's kind of like I'm not gone, but I'm going. He's coming. You'll get it. Acts 2, read it. Here's the play. Go make disciples of who? The people who look like you, the people of your same color, the people who act like you. Nope. Of the nations, the ethnos, the ethnicities of the world. And here Paul is preaching it to the the church in Ephesus. Don't forget this. He tore down all your reasons for not, don't you remember what it felt like to not be connected? Now you're connected. Don't go back there. One more just side note about prejudice and segregation. Uh, There's a a study, a a professor at the University of Texas, I think she's a professor, she's there, um, Rebecca Bigler's there. She did this experiment on how early in life um, prejudices begin based on colors. And in her study, according to what she says, um, at six months old, babies or infants are beginning to draw towards one color and away from another, whatever it might be. People objects, whatever. She did this study in a kindergarten class, took three kindergarten classes and took, got the teachers and said, here's the thing, I'm gonna, I want you to cut the class in half, put red shirts on half the kids, blue on half. We'll do it in three different classrooms. Don't tell them why. Don't do any uh, projects or anything that would cause segregation. Just let it roll. Just teach class for, for three weeks. So they did this. So at the end of the three weeks, went back and polled the teachers. Um, did you notice anything? Did they segregate themselves? And the teachers were like, well, not, not really. Not a whole lot. Those who were friends before kind of kept on playing, whatever. And so then they went and interviewed the kids. And what they found was profound. Because then we began to ask questions like, to the, red, to the red shirt kid, was anybody from the red shirts ever mean to anybody? No. What about the blue shirts? Were they ever mean? Yeah, they were mean. And just question after question revealed subjective thinking. Okay? I don't think she proved racism. I think what she proved was narcissism. Right? It's not about white, it's about what color I am, right? My prejudices aren't that I'm pro-Anglo, it's that I'm white. And I just like people who are my color, inherently. It's wrong. And it's not the gospel. Now, here's what I want to say. And I love you, okay? I love you, I do. But, if you are not willing I'm not talking about struggling with, I'll get better at this, help me walk through this. If if you would say, I am not willing. I am not willing to stand. If you would say that, I'm not willing to stand shoulder to shoulder with someone who is different than you. Take your pick, socioeconomic, racially, 
If you're not willing to stand shoulder to shoulder with a person who is different from you in your worship of Jesus, you are unfit for heaven. Go read Revelation. The ethnicities flow like rivers uphill to one place, the throne. Go read it. And and we're flowing there so fast that it sounds like roaring waters. Every tribe, language is represented. And guess what? When the rivers collide, they don't stay separated. There aren't denominational segregations in heaven. There are not racial segregations either. I'm not trying to be mean. If you can't do that here, you're going to be lousy at it there. And if you find yourself unwilling to worship with those who are not like you, with all the humility I can muster right now, Solid Rock is not going to be the church for you. And I don't want to have to preach it every week, okay? Solid Rock is not going to be the church for you if you would stand in your position that I'm not comfortable worshiping around certain people. Okay? And we need your seat. We're running out of them. So I'll help you find another place. But this is the gospel we believe and we preach here and we're going to live it out. All right. Deep breath. Verse 17. And he came, being Jesus, and preached peace to you who were far off. Remember that when you felt far off? You thought they were the ones that were far off, but it was really you. You felt far off. You remember that? He came and he preached peace to you, and he preached peace to those who were near. For through him, who's him? Jesus, through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Incredibly profound implications of the gospel right here. So he's the him, right? We both have one access. In English, we use the word access a couple different ways. One could mean an access point, a door. That's the access point. We also mean it in terms of permission. You've been granted access, okay? Both are implied here. Both. You have how many accesses to God? One. We both have one, an access in one spirit to the Father. So here's what that means for us every Sunday we get together. Jason isn't the one who takes us to the throne room of God. He's the one who just starts reminding us of what's true. The Holy Spirit takes the lead and comes to each one who is a believer and says, come with me, come with me, come with me. The Holy Spirit ushers us into the presence of the Father. And how many accesses are there? One. So if I refuse to worship Jesus with you, one of us has to stop, right? One of us has to stop. Are you really gonna say, because of personality differences, I'm, not gonna, I'm, not, I'm just not gonna go through that one. No, I'm just gonna hang over here for a while until you get done. Guess what? They're never gonna get done. We have one access, port, permission to get to the Father it's through Jesus. And I, I run into you there, whether I like it or not. The worship team simply are just the ones saying, I'll be the first one to sing. That's all they're doing. I'll be the first one to sing what's true. You guys come with us. 
but the Holy Spirit's the one taking us in. Now, verse 19, so then, so what? So then, you are no, lang- no longer strangers and aliens. It's no longer who you are. You're one of them. You're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, which translates kin. That's how we used to say it in Parker County. It's kinfolk. We're kin in God. I know we all have those family members that we hope don't show up, right, at the family reunion, but it's not a family reunion unless the whole family's there. We've we've got folks like that, I'm sure, in our church. I don't know who they are. I'm just saying But like, here's the thing, we don't get to not invite. We're kin now, you and me. And it's not based on the color of our skin, our backgrounds, right? We're kin, you and I. We're kin. Ending here, last three verses, verse 20. Built on the foundation of the apostles, I believe he's talking about the New Testament, And the prophets, the Old Testament, built on that foundation. That's where you and I stand together. If we stand on anything else, guess what? It's going to shift and we're going to fall miserably. Try to build your marriage on anything other than that. Try to to have a long-lasting, not, (laughs) be careful here. You can have friends for a long time, but like in the truest sense. Lay down your life for them, friends. Okay? That's founded on a foundation of God's word, founded on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone. He's the one that's lifted up and, and gets all the attention. He's the one who's like, everything else is leaning on in God's kingdom. He's the cornerstone. He himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And him, you also were being built together. Say that word with me. Together. Say it one more time. Together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Don't you bring me this. Well, I'm the temple now. I don't need the church. It's true. The Holy Spirit lives in you like you're a temple for God. But you can't get away from this one either. The gospel has two implications. God is living in you. But when we gather as the saints... It's like stones being formed into a wall. Each one of us has its place. And we have a cornerstone that holds us together. We all lean together on Jesus. Take Jesus out, guess what happens? We all fall. We gather together as the church. We gather together into the dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Here's the short of it. When you and I find ourselves at the cross, gathered together, God is there. He just promised it. We don't have to talk him into it. Dads, when you walk in the door and your kid comes running to you, Daddy, and throws his arms around you, does he have to beg you to hold him? No. It's like our favorite moment in the whole day. You don't have to beg God to join you on Sunday. Like he's saying, when you gather saints, I'll be there. 
I'll be there. I'm your dad. I will be there. God is in our midst when we gather at the cross. Now, we're going to land here. It's been heavy, right? In a good way, I hope. Let's land here for today. We're going to come back and pick up chapter 3 next week. Um, And I want you to hear this. I think we short sell the gospel too many times in the church and we just make it about us. Hey, come to Jesus so you can be forgiven and then go on about your merry way. That's not the gospel. We need to be honest. If you're here today and you find yourself living without hope and you have not trusted Jesus as your savior, I want you to know it's more beautiful than that. Uh, You may not think it's beautiful at first. It's gonna feel awkward because we're kind of a little weird here in the church. I get it, but hang with me. First and foremost, he's gonna reconcile you in our beautiful father-son, father-daughter relationship. But guess what? You have siblings in the family and you get me. Sorry, I get you. That is the gospel. I know, I know, right? I won't mention who that was, John. That was awesome. So I'm gonna pray for us and I wanna pray that right now that reconciliation of the gospel would just fall on us. Some of you were confronted with your hostility this morning. Holy Spirit was speaking as God's word was being read. You didn't even need me to explain it. And he pointed something out and said, this is where you're still holding offenses or you're still, right, prejudice against. And this is where you're still trying to resurrect hostility. Bring me that dead stuff. It happened today. Others of you today realize that, oh, no wonder I was freaked out by the church. They're weird there. But... There's something beautiful about being weird with them. To be a people of faith called the saints of God. To have a place to lean finally. I'd rather be weird and have a place to rest. To have peace, right? Than to think I'm cool walking out there in turmoil and darkness. So I wanna pray for us that if you're here today and you aren't a Christian, you've never experienced Ephesians 2, rock your world, that it'll happen to you today. That you will come to Christ yourself. Bring him whatever junk you have been counting on, whatever it is, your own thought processes, whatever it was you were standing on, bring it to him and show him and see how impressed he is. He won't be any more impressed with yours than he was with mine. Say, here, this is the mess I've made in my life. I I invite you to do that. Jesus is inviting you to do that. Bring it to him today. You could do it where you're seated. You can do it up here with a prayer partner, but you must believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead. And in that moment, he makes you alive. All things become new. You're reborn. You are brought near. Everything, everything is new. Everything, even your family. And when you finish that prayer, look around at your new siblings. For better, for worse, here we are. Let me pray for us. The worship team will come back up and our prayer partners will be down here for us to respond. Let's pray together.